The reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, which is on page 1170 in the Church Bibles. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before this passage of Scripture now, so we stand on this promise here, the promise of life and freedom and joy in Jesus Christ. We pray for your Holy Spirit's help that we might understand these words that you gave to the Apostle of Christ so long ago, that in understanding we might turn to you or turn afresh to you. We ask that you would renew our minds, transform us, that we might trust and live for Jesus now and always. Amen. Amen. Do please be seated. There's the code for those who need it. Uh, Thank you, John, for that uh, introduction that you gave uh, to the sermon. Uh, I would just like to point out that not only uh, is this perhaps the most difficult part of Galatians, uh, but it's also one of the longest passages we shall be looking at in Galatians. So uh, I hope you set your oven on a long timer uh, before you left home this morning and that you've brought your best brain to church uh, as we look at this passage uh, together. Uh, So Galatians 4, do have it open. Uh, Gosh, if you're new to us or visiting us, you must be wondering what's coming next. Please don't be alarmed. Uh, We have the Lord's help as we look at his word together, and uh, we shall do that uh, together now. Galatians 4, verses 8 to 31. Thank you, Rodney, for reading. Uh, And we're under the heading of no turning back. No turning back to man-made religion. Uh, Religion is... An interesting word, isn't it? Uh, We are uh, engaged in a religious activity this morning uh, because we're in church and we're singing songs and we're reading the Bible. And yet my guess is that if we're Christians, we wince a little when somebody says to us, oh, you're religious, aren't you? Uh, Meaning that, of course, we go to church and do religious things. And if we're Christians, well then normally we want to say, even if it's hard to do it and, uh, and uh, even more difficult to find the words and have the courage to uh, speak them, actually, no, it's not about religion at all, because real Christianity is about knowing God through Jesus Christ. Well, Paul teaches us that, uh, reassures us of that in this passage uh, this morning, and yet we can't get away from this word religion. Uh, When the Apostle Paul uh, went to Athens, he began uh, his speech to the uh, pagan philosophers and those gathered in the marketplace. Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And they might have initially taken that as a compliment. They wouldn't have done by the end of the sermon. And something similar may go on this morning. If you come to church this morning uh, proud in your religion, uh, then you are unlikely to be pleased with what the Apostle Paul says today. As on that earlier occasion in Athens, he went on to say, uh, uh, you're very religious, but as I uh, walked around and looked at carefully at your objects of worship, I even found this one, uh, with this an inscription to, the un- to an unknown God. Well, you, he says, you're religious, but you don't know God. But what you worship is something unknown. 
I'm going to proclaim to you. Well, so was Paul's ministry. Whether he was uh, preaching the gospel to those uh, large crowds uh, who weren't believers in Christ at all, uh, or whether, as here, he's writing to Christians. But really the message is, of course, always the same. God's answer uh, to our uh, rebellion against him, the alienation that that creates, not only between us and our maker, but between us and one another, is never solved by religion. The heart of God's good news is that he has come down to reconcile us to himself, to make himself known to us. Not as we've tried to plot a path to him, but rather as he has come down from heaven to us, to invite us to come to know him for ourselves. Well, as we think about these things, we're going to uh, start with a little bit of spiritual bingo. Um, it's not the sort of bingo where I want you to stand up and shout full house. Uh, you may just embarrass yourself if you do that. So uh, please don't do that if you were in any way tempted, which I suspect you're not. Uh, those of you at home, welcome to you uh, online. Uh, uh, of course, you may do what you want. Uh, and uh, if leaping up and down and uh, shouting is your thing, well, I don't even know that you're not doing that now. But a little bit of spiritual bingo. Uh, and there are two uh, basic questions here and we're going to find where we sit uh, on this Uh, there is a question of what you do Uh, and uh, in particular we're thinking about uh, whether you are the sort of person who when Jesus says love God and love your neighbor do you commit yourself to trying to do that or do you think that's not for me I'm not even sure if Jesus was real I'm just not bothered about doing anything to do with the law of God That's along the top. Uh, Then down the side is who do you trust? Who do you trust to get right with God? Do you trust in yourself? Or do you actually think there's no God there to trust? Or do you trust in Jesus as the only one who can bring you into God's presence and fellowship? In other words, that it's not about you at all, but it's about him. So let's put those titles on there. So uh, there are those who openly disobey the law of God. They're just not bothered, or if they are bothered, they don't really make any effort at all. Perhaps they feel it's beyond them, uh, or they've just got other priorities. And there's another group that are really keen to do what Jesus says, to love God with all our heart, to love our neighbours as ourselves. And then down the other side, uh, there are those who trust in their ability and their obedience uh, to do God's will. And there are those who trust, uh, who don't trust in their obedience at all, who place no confidence uh, in their own spiritual ability or track record. Uh, those are different things. Uh, the one along the top, uh, a question of uh, uh, who, what we do, and the one down the side of who we're trusting. Well, I've laboured that a little bit because I want to suggest those are very different things. And yet when we put them in combination, we see four very different outcomes. You see, there are some people who really know that they have to obey God in order to get into his presence. Obey me and live, the scriptures say. They know enough of God to be afraid of him. To know that he's really there, that he is a judge, and that one day he will hold our lives to account. And yet they 
look at God's moral law. Perhaps they can name one or two of the Ten Commandments, but they know they do not have any chance of measuring up to his standards. And the nature of that person is to be guilty. They know they ought to live a certain way. They know they're not living that way, and it leaves them in despair. And there are religious people like that. They know that God is holy. They know that they are not. But they have no way out beyond their own guilt or perhaps a watering down, a hopeful uh, thought that maybe God isn't as holy as they deep down inside know that he is. Maybe he'll lower the standards and let them in. But there's no assurance. There's no peace. There's only guilt and uncertainty. Well, then there's a kind of person uh, who knows that obedience to God is really important and they think they've got it nailed. They can read you the Ten Commandments and they can tell you that they have kept every single one of them. Just don't ask too many questions about how deep that obedience goes. But they're pretty confident. They're certainly not living uh, the sort of lives that many of their neighbours are, those dodgy vicars, those people who end up in the tabloid newspapers, uh, those who make a moral shipwreck of their lives. These are good, honest, hard-working family people who live respectable lives, and they're pretty confident that they're going to please God by so doing. They are proud and complacent in their religion. And in that box, uh, we have just met the Pharisees, Uh, if you wanted to put a name on them, uh, of those that Jesus comes across and rebukes so frequently in the Gospels. Well, let's come to the second row. These are people uh, now who are not putting any confidence in their own ability uh, to be obedient to the law of God. Uh, And in that first box, you have people who say, yep, I'm not putting any trust in myself and I simply do not care. Because as far as I'm concerned, uh, there probably isn't any God. uh, And if there was, well, he's not going to be taking any interest in me. These are uh, the secular people. Uh, These are those who would deride uh, any talk of God as a sky fairy uh, making rules. uh, And therefore think it has nothing whatsoever to do with them. This is the person who says confidently, I trust in myself. I make my own morality. And because I make the rules, what do you know? I'm not doing badly at keeping them. It's amazing, isn't it, how good we are at keeping the rules that we make for ourselves. Well, then comes the fourth person. And the fourth person doesn't trust in themselves either, but they don't trust in their ability to keep rules. They've realized that way is futile. No, they've come to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And because they've stopped trusting in themselves and they know that God is real and holy, they've fled to Jesus for the forgiveness that only he can bring. And because they're now forgiven by God's grace, because they're now trusting that the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to them, their sins forgiven, this enormous, remember we thought about this a couple of weeks ago, this infinite treasure uh, accredited to their account Well, now they are confident of acceptance before God, not because of themselves, but because of Christ. And because they know his love for them, they want to love him. We want to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we're not confident in that. We know we still fall short. uh, And that's why we confess our sins every day, every time uh, we gather 
we don't do so despairingly because we know that our place in God's kingdom depends on what Christ has done, not not what we have done. Let's just apply this uh, a little bit. Uh, So this, of course, is where we want to be. This is Paul's message. Don't be religious. Come to Christ. And we'll see that again when we come uh, to the passage. Uh, But what's interesting is if we uh, consider the way the world looks at these things, those three blue boxes are all religious. And we see that, don't we, where the confusion comes and why we wince when people say, oh, you're religious, you're going to church. Because, and we think actually the person who's saying to it is thinking, well, you're trying to earn points with God by going to church and living that life. You think you'll get to heaven because you're one of the good guys. And we wince because we want to say, no, it's not like that. It's not religion. It's trusting Jesus. But we are religious. We're in church. We're singing songs. We're reading the Bible. Our real problem uh, is therefore not, uh, as we want to say to our neighbours, that we're not religious. But in the end, we're not trusting in anyone other than Jesus Christ. And how we long that they might come to do so for themselves. Just think again in those three boxes of the impact of last week's sermon. If you were here last week, uh, John preached uh, one of the best sermons I've ever heard uh, on the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. But just think how it would have landed in each of those uh, boxes that are there on the screen. Uh, If you have any sense uh, of your own heart, And you know that Jesus said uh, adultery is not just a matter of what we do with our bodies, but what we do with our eyes and in our hearts. Well, we know, therefore, that we are spiritual sinners. We are adulterers spiritually before God, even if we've never been so uh, physically. Well, if we're trusting in our own obedience and we know that we have fallen short of God's law, we just feel guilty and there's no remedy. That's the first box up there. Top right, we came to church last week. We've never actually committed adultery. We'll close our ears to Jesus saying, look at a woman lustfully and you've committed adultery. And we'll go outside congratulating ourselves that we are one of the great and good of Hartford, full of pride. And of course, God's law, uh, if we hear it through Christ, brings us to the cross as broken sinners and then liberates us from all our sins. For we are sent away remade as sons and daughters of God, forgiven, free to live for him. The unbeliever, of course, uh, if he came last week at all, uh, he just ignored that and was on his phone because he doesn't think it's got anything uh, to do with him. Uh, And as we turn now to Galatians 4, uh, we are in uh, Paul's message, Christ's message through Paul, uh, to Christian believers. And if you're not a believer... Well, then can I encourage you to come and talk to one of us afterwards? We'd love to share what it really means to know and follow Jesus Christ. Or you never know, you might just get accidentally converted from the wrong part of the Bible. Uh, It's happened many times in history. I love the story of St. Augustine, uh, converted through the wrong part of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, He should have been converted in chapters 1 to 8, where Paul was expounding the gospel. But he actually got converted through where Paul was expounding the ethical entailments uh, of the latter part of Romans. So beware, you unbeliever. Uh, God might just catch you with his word, even today, when neither of you are expecting it. So, 
Uh, all of us need to hear this. Uh, I'm conscious we've spent a lot of time on that introduction because uh, it's been important to set the context for where we are. But let's go then into Galatians 4. Uh, at some speed, uh, verses 8 to 31, no turning back to DIY salvation. Uh, that is no turning back to that top row. No turning back to trusting in law and our ability to keep it. Uh, Whether that leads us to despair or to pride, uh, once we trust in the law to make us right with God, we are doomed. We need to hear the gospel and to hear it again. That's why Paul is writing to these Christians. Uh, And he teaches them that there are two religions, uh, there are two ministries, and there are two sons. So we'll begin as we work through. And in each of these, of course, he's comparing and contrasting. I'm trusting in myself religion and I'm trusting in Jesus religion. I'm trusting in myself, guilt or pride and certainly to hell. Trusting in Christ, liberty and joy and on our way to the kingdom of God. Let's make sure that we hear God's word this morning. First of all, then, two uh, religions, verses 8 to 11. Now, Paul is clear uh, that it is, uh, and I've put the words on the screen uh, so you can uh, hopefully see where we are uh, in that as we gallop a little through these verses. Uh, Paul is clear that to be outside of Christ is to have no knowledge of God. Uh, By nature, you did not know God We are by nature, as he says elsewhere, and as we thought of a couple of weeks ago, children of God's wrath. By nature, we do not have any knowledge of our heavenly Father. And whether we pursue another religion to try and find him, whether we pursue obedience to the law that he has revealed to try and find him, or whether we pretend he doesn't exist, Any of those routes lead uh, to the ignorance of God for eternity. It is a precious thing to come to know God. And it is precious precisely because it is found only in Christ. Now he says you've come to Jesus, you know God or rather are known by God. So to be a Christian, uh, Jesus said himself, this is eternal life that they might know you, Father. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what we want to share with our neighbours, isn't it? It's not religion, it's relationship. And that's what Paul reminds these Galatians here. You've come to Christ from ignorance of God to the knowledge of God, or even better, God's knowledge of you. Because our love for him, our knowledge of him, is only ever a response to his perfect knowledge and love of us and it's his knowledge of us his love for us that is what holds us tight even when we uh, uh, find that our knowledge is struggling and that our love uh, is weak it is his knowledge and love that holds us uh, now he says you know god well how is it then uh, that you are turning uh, back to these uh, weak and miserable principles uh, we thought about the detail of those a couple of weeks ago. We won't therefore go through them uh, again now. But remember that Paul uh, is writing to people uh, who've come to Christ from a mixture of backgrounds. There'll be some Jews who'd become Christians, uh, some non-Jews or Gentiles who'd become Christians. Uh, but to them all, he says, uh, you uh, once were enslaved uh, by what he calls these weak and miserable principles. That is whether you were in total ignorance of God uh, and uh, finding your, feeling your way in the dark 
or whether you knew the law of God but actually thought that you could establish your own way into God's kingdom by obeying it. Either way, uh, that you were united uh, by not knowing God and being enslaved. Uh, That slavery uh, may take the form uh, of a religious slavery where you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. Uh, You go on pilgrimages uh, and you try religious rituals, uh, or it may be uh, the slavery of those who simply are reverting to their paganism. But the focus in this letter, the focus here, uh, is on those who've uh, come from unbelief, come to Christ, and now these teachers have arrived who say, yes, but there is uh, a way to go even further uh, in your religion. Now, uh, as you learn uh, God's law, and as you learn to trust in your ability to obey God's law, and add that to your faith in Christ, well, then you will come Uh, into this new and exalted standing. One of the things that I find uh, enormously uh, distressing, uh, as uh, uh, having been uh, an Anglican minister for 28 years today, uh, is the way that so many of our senior leaders uh, in the Church of England uh, have similar stories. Uh, And I've heard many of them, so I'm not telling any one story here, but many of the stories of our senior leaders go something like this. As a young person... I didn't know anything about Christianity. But then someone shared the gospel with me. And it's amazing how many of our senior leaders began in gospel preaching churches. I heard the gospel. Someone loved me and shared it with me. And I came to put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I went on for a few years. But then I broadened my understanding. I discovered that there were insights in uh, other traditions of the Christian church, that there was great value in discovering the riches uh, of the inheritance of the Roman tradition uh, or the liberal Enlightenment tradition or some other tradition. And so I left my simple faith of childhood behind. And now uh, I have a broad understanding, just like our church is broad, uh, all the way from atheism to fundamentalism, the Church of England, uh, and uh, as you go into senior leadership, you have to be able to empathize with it all. And so those sort of stories, I started with the gospel, but now I've broadened to embrace every tradition, uh, or almost the necessary CV, uh, to get into senior leadership of the church. Well, Paul says... Those are the kind of men who've come to Galatia. Don't listen to them. Because what you need, the day you come to Christ, to the day you die, is the simple gospel and nothing more. Anything that's packaged as uh, this great new enlightenment that you just must add in uh, for your real development and maturity, well, it's not that we have nothing to learn from others. Of course it isn't. But when we start to trust in those things... When they become part of our spiritual pride to say, look at this breadth I've gained, smiling condescendingly at those who still believe the simple truths of the scripture by saying, well, of course, it's far more complicated than that, isn't it? And when you've been on the journey I have, perhaps you'll discover that for yourself. That's the character of those who've come to destroy the faith of the Galatians. And it's endemic. In our national church. Friends, let's be clear there are two religions. There is a religion of trust in self and tradition and the things of the world, 
And there is the religion that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And that's it. The end. Well, which do you believe? There are two religions. Paul's fear is that somehow he has wasted his efforts because their eyes are so open and hungry for all these other things that seem so attractive and yet in the end bring only death. Two religions, two ministries as well. As I said, 28 years ago today I was ordained uh, a deacon in the Church of England. Uh, Dear James, um, uh, what you must never do when you're preaching in this pulpit uh, is address an individual from it. So let me just break that rule uh, as uh, I uh, come to this next point here because uh, James, of course, is uh, joining us as... uh, uh, on the team now, and uh, God willing, will be ordained uh, in a few months' time. Uh, and in this next section, I'm not just going to point at you, I'm going to point at John as well. And uh, all, I'm going to point back at myself. Any of us here who handle the Word of God, uh, and we uh, would re- rightly expand this as well, not just to those of us uh, who are in uh, public or ordained ministry, but those who are handling the Word of God even now in our Sunday schools, uh, those who help us uh, in our small groups Uh, to discover the riches of God's word. Uh, We are engaged in the ministry of the word. And Paul now speaks in verses 12 to 20 uh, about those who are in that position, those who are teachers of the word of God, uh, as he is, but also as these false teachers who have come into the Galatian church are. And what he does broadly is he paints a picture. Uh, It's not quite as clear as this, but but basically what he's doing is painting a picture of a true ministry and then contrasting it with a false ministry. That we might know, that you might know, whether the person or the people who are leading you and teaching you are doing so in a way that is led by the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of the age. And when you see in us anything that even hints of the spirit of the age, please will you do a kindness and come and tell us that we might learn and grow, that we might repent swiftly. Friends, these things come in so subtly sometimes, and yet so divisively and destructively. So I need to hear everything. I'm pointing at James, but I need to hear this just as much as the day I was first ordained. So what does Paul say about a true ministry? Well, here is what he says first. He says, I became like you. Uh, Tim Keller uh, speaks of this as cultural flexibility. Uh, And uh, even more importantly, of course, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Though I am free and belong to no man, uh, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all men, that by all possible means I might save some The purpose of any uh, body who is called to teach the word of God is, first of all, to come alongside, to understand, to speak the language of those they are addressing. Paul here, uh, the Jewish apostle, uh, apostle, came to pagan Galatia and says, I became like you, because he wanted to share Christ uh, with us. Uh, And notice that uh, Paul didn't come to the Galatians because he had a great master plan a great strategy document that he'd labored much over uh, in order to arrive with them. Verse 13, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, I don't despise strategy documents, uh, even though others are much better than I am at creating them. 
I tend to think not much further than the next 10 minutes, uh, but it's good to step back and think of five and 10 years and where we might be. And we do that. And I need others uh, to help me uh, in doing so. Indeed, Paul did. Paul had a, a strategy, a clear strategy to go to the major urban centers of the Roman world in a systematic fashion uh, that as they planted the gospel in a city, so it might radiate to the country. And yet here, Paul says, for all the goodness of strategic planning, in the end, we are subject to one who is sovereign and who frequently in our lives overrules what we think are our marvelous plans. Isn't that encouraging? When we make plans, and it's not just about apostles or even uh, ministers, it's about all of us. We make plans for good reasons, and yet so often life comes in and undermines them, sometimes destroys them entirely. Well, look at what Paul did and take hope. Uh, He got ill. He didn't give up. He just recognized that the sovereign hand of the Lord was upon him in a painful way, and determined to glorify Jesus anyway. And because of that illness in the providence of God, uh, so uh, these Galatians had become Christians. I'd love to uh, dwell on this, but I'm looking at the clock, uh, and we really mustn't. But there's a principle here that works for all of us in every area of our lives, with every distress and heartache and illness and hurt that we have. None of it occurs outside the sovereign plan of God, For the good of those who love him. None of it cannot be used for his glory there and then. As Paul did here in Galatia. uh, Taking the opportunity even in distress. To share Christ with them. Well that's the fruit of his ministry. Uh, It brought joy. When we preach Christ. When people come to him. There is joy uh, that comes as the appropriate response. Because the gospel sets us free. The gospel brings us into the presence of God. The gospel declares us not guilty and massively blessed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit. These are things of joy. And so the ministry of the gospel should be characterized by joy. So there uh, is a coming alongside. There is humility under circumstance. There is uh, the joy of the fruit. But... The centre of it is speaking the truth. Uh, whether that makes us popular or unpopular. Uh, Paul is writing to the Galatians, knowing that at this point their ears turn to the new teachers, that as he speaks to them the simple truths of the gospel again, he will be unpopular because they now want sophistication. And he says, no, it's simple. And so, it, nevertheless, he speaks the truth to them. I plead with you, uh, brothers, become like me. What an affirmation that is of an authentic Christian ministry. Uh, To say, don't just listen to me uh, on a Sunday morning, but actually become like me. Come alongside me and see the way I pray, the way I love. That's hard, and Paul is bolder than I am. What a uh, a an aim uh, for true ministers. Uh, Paul says, uh, in terms of the response of the Galatians, uh, he wants to encourage them. Even though my illness was a trial, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God. Uh, If you could have done so, uh, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. It seems he had some sort of eye complaint, uh, eye illness. uh, And uh, so he speaks, if you could have done, of course, you would 
have helped me. So that's the response to true ministry. It's love and giving. How true ministry creates true partnership between us and the Lord and between us as brothers and sisters together. Well, look by contrast at what a false ministry does. Uh, Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good, uh, he says. Uh, Now, there's nothing wrong with zeal. Uh, The first Bible I had, I wrote Proverbs uh, chapter 19, verse 2 in the beginning. Uh, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge. Uh, I was a young and ignorant man, and I needed to be taught the word of God. I had the zeal. I had no knowledge. Well, now I have knowledge, and I need to be renewed in zeal. We need both, don't we? It's good to have zeal uh, if the purpose uh, is right. That's why we need uh, young men. Young men, the word of God is strong in you, uh, John says uh, in the second chapter of his uh, epistle. We need zeal and knowledge together. But these people, Paul says, they have zeal, but they do not have the true knowledge uh, of God. Uh, No, their purpose is uh, no good. Uh, More literally, verse 17, uh, I'll take this from the English Standard Version, uh, says this, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to... uh, Shut you out that you may make much of them. And you'll notice uh, in our NIV, the from us is in italics in verse 17. It's not in the original. It's been supplied. Uh, So it seems that what's really going on, Paul says, is that these false teachers have come and they're flattering you. You'd love to listen to their sermons because they're always just making you feel good. And they're tickling your pride and telling you funny stories. And yet all the while, They're making much of you that you might make much of them. Their purpose is not that you might come to Christ and remain in him. Their purpose is that you will celebrate them and say, what marvelous ministers we now have among us. Let's give them a pay rise. It was uh, probably at least part of their motivation. But Paul says the actual effect of their ministry is to shut you out It doesn't say shut us out of what. Uh, The the NIV uh, speaks in terms of being shut out from relationship with Paul. I think it's even more profound than that. I think he's saying, now when these people preach to you another gospel, they're shutting you out of the presence of God. That's how serious it is. Oh, they tell you what you want to hear, and all those wrong parts of you quite enjoy listening to the message. And... They're flattering you. It seems only fair to flatter them in response. Make no mistake, Paul says, they're shutting you out from the presence of God. We need the gospel, the apostolic gospel, because only that can bring us life, whatever you think uh, about those who bring it to you. Look at Paul's uh, motive, and this is a a good uh, part that just comes towards the end uh, of the passage. Uh, Their desire was that you would flatter them. Paul's desire is that Christ would be formed in you. In other words, uh, when you come out of church, uh, and some of you say this, and I'm not being critical, because it's lovely when you say, oh, that was a lovely sermon, Mike. Thank you so much for that. Uh, But actually, what I'm really longing and praying for is that you will come out of a a church service and say, isn't Christ an extraordinary saviour who knows me and loves me in spite of what I'm like? And will bring me one day into his kingdom. I don't really want you to say, that was a lovely sermon. I want you to say, we have a marvellous saviour. Now, now don't go all super spiritual and just say that to me on the way out today. Because I'll know that you're just trying too hard. But do you see what I'm saying? 
There's a kind of ministry that loves to be flattered. And Paul's ministry is that Christ would be formed in his hearers, that he would be glorified, that as he brings to salvation, well, then so the kingdom of God will grow. Uh, Friends, I have more to say uh, over this uh, last passage, uh, this last part, the two sons. Uh, I don't think we really have time uh, to do that uh, this morning. We're we're simply uh, out of time. Uh, So I'm not going to even try to skate through uh, verses 21 uh, to 31. Uh, That's my fault entirely. Uh, I should have spent less time at the beginning. Uh, I will put some notes out uh, uh, if you want to uh, have a look at that. And uh, or maybe do a short recording for those who wish to have an after uh, thought on the latter part of the passage. Uh, that's what you would have had. We're going to whiz through that. So be grateful and uh, we shall pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the gospel is true, that it sets us free, uh, that it brings us to be your children, sons and daughters, forgiven and ennobled in your presence. And Lord, as we think back to how we began uh, this morning, I want to pray for those who are trusting in their ability to obey your law. That you would uh, bring them from that false gospel that can appear so religious and sometimes be so impressive to a watching world. And yet in the end, brings only guilt or pride. Father, I pray for those who are burdened with guilt this morning that you would turn their hearts away from their own efforts to Christ, his righteousness, his forgiveness, his love and acceptance. I pray, Lord, for those who are proud this morning in church, that you would break their hearts and turn their eyes to the reality of the awfulness of the sin within. And then quickly, having taught them to fear, would you bring them to Christ, that they might know true forgiveness. We pray for those uh, who are arrogantly unbelieving. That, Lord, you would reveal yourself in them, even through this, the, the wrong part of your word this morning. Uh, please would you speak to them of the beauty and truth and love of Jesus, his reality, his call to come and believe and repent. And, Lord, we pray for those of us who do believe uh, in your Son. You know, Lord, that we are so prone to wander. So quick to judge ourselves again. So quick to celebrate a success as though it had something to do with us. How easily our own eyes are turned from you. Lord Jesus, be formed in us, we pray, that we might trust you and live for you. As we should be thinking in the coming weeks, be full in our freedom of the spirit who lives out your life in us. We ask these things. To your Father's glory. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for coming back uh, for the third point that I uh, omitted uh, when I was preaching this morning at St. John's. Uh, I've just come back from church and uh, I thought I would do this while it's uh, fresh uh, in my mind. So thank you. Um, uh, thank you, one, two of you who um, specifically asked if uh, there would indeed be this uh, final part. And uh, I hope this is a blessing uh, to you. So let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for what you've been teaching us uh, this morning uh, about what it means not to be religious, but to be in Christ. Uh, and as we come to consider this last part of uh, Galatians 4, uh, for which we ran out of time uh, a little while ago in church, uh, so we pray that once more you would teach us your word 
uh, and draw us to the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So uh, in church, of course, we, uh, we're looking at uh, Galatians 4, verses 8 uh, to 31, um, verses uh, 8 to 20. Um, we covered in the service, and uh, you can get that uh, if you want to listen back on the uh, YouTube recording. Uh, but we were seeing there that in the end, uh, there is a choice to be made. There, there are two religions, uh, religion which is of uh, trusting ourselves or of trusting in Christ. There are two ministries. Uh, those ministers who seek to preach the truth and grace uh, of the Lord Jesus uh, and so bring glory to Christ as Christ is formed uh, in uh, the hearer uh, and those who preach themselves uh, and who in the end flatter uh, their hearers and are looking for uh, flattery uh, in response. Well, so we've had two religions, two ministries uh, and now two sons uh, in this uh, last part of Galatians 4. Of course, Jesus told a parable uh, about two sons and what was striking about uh, both of them. You'll know that in uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, that uh, the older son and the younger son, uh, both of those sons in Jesus parable wanted dad's inheritance. And yet neither of them really knew their father. Of course, uh, one of them, the older son, uh, was uh, outwardly uh, uh, obedient and uh, he stayed at home and he labored, uh, but he didn't really know his father's heart. And the younger son, the prodigal, uh, went off and uh, wasted everything uh, that he'd taken from his dad. And in the end, uh, realized that he was in a worse position uh, than his father's hired men, went back and uh, was preparing his speech as he went uh, as to what he would say. But even before he could get the whole speech out, uh, his dad was there and had run towards him and had embraced him. And then there was great rejoicing uh, for that younger son had come home to be a true son, uh, a son who was received by grace and who brought great joy to his father uh, as he finally came to know him. Whereas the older son, the, uh, the Pharisee, the uh, outwardly obedient uh, and uh, religiously observant son who never really knew his father, of course, he was uh, filled with bitterness uh, at the grace that had been shown well, Paul here does something similar uh, with another tale of two sons. Uh, and as he does so, Galatians 4, 21 uh, to 31, uh, he is uh, aiming here uh, at those who see themselves as religious. So who see themselves, uh, as it were, as the older son, or maybe who didn't see themselves as the older son, but who are the older son. Uh, these are people who believe uh, they need to get right with God by virtue of their own effort in religious matters. They need to obey the law, uh, whether they consider themselves to have fallen short of that and so to be in despair uh, and uh, to be filled with guilt, or whether they consider themselves to be good and upright and great achievers. Uh, Paul is now speaking, verse 21, tell me you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? In other words, I'm speaking to you who think that it's a matter of trying to get right with God by your own efforts at obedience. However much you think you may be succeeding or failing in that, he's now narrowed down his focus uh, to those who want to be under the law, to those who want to please God by obedience. And as he does so, he says, let me tell you about these two sons, uh, two sons of Abraham. Now, these false teachers who've come to you, uh, they're telling you that uh, they're true sons of Abraham and they want you to be a true son of Abraham. Well, 
did you know just remember paul says that paul uh, that, that, that abraham had two sons and we need to work out which of those sons we want to be uh, and what paul does here is uh, first of all he uh, teaches an old testament history lesson verses 22 and 23 uh, he then goes on to look at the symbolic or allegorical meaning of that verses 24 to 27 uh, and then finally he comes uh, to the personal application uh, verses 28 to 31 so we'll go through uh, those now uh, paul first of all tells a history lesson uh, for it is written that abraham had two sons uh, one by the slave woman that's hagar he's about to talk about in more detail and the other by the free woman his wife sarai or sarah as she became his son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise so Paul says, you want to be a son of Abraham? Well, which son do you want to be? He's turning it right back on those false teachers uh, who've come uh, with their message that we must become true sons of Abraham by remember, reminding people that there were two sons of Abraham. And he says, well, the first son, Ishmael, uh, who was born of Hagar, was born in the ordinary way because Hagar was a young and probably beautiful and fertile woman. And with Sarah's permission, of course, as Sarah herself was uh, was very elderly, uh, there was no way in the normal course of events she could conceive. But Abraham and Sarah were living with God's promise. They hadn't seen it fulfilled. And Sarah said, take Hagar and have a child with her. Maybe he will be the one through whom God will keep his promise. So Abraham, his age was not an impediment uh, to his uh, becoming a father. Uh, he and Hagar uh, conceived uh, Ishmael in the normal way. This is part and parcel uh, of the Old Testament story. You can read it yourself in the book of Genesis. But uh, Abraham, uh, Paul says, the son who actually fulfilled the promise of God, he was born as a result of something quite miraculous. Not perhaps as miraculous as a virgin birth, although the birth of uh, uh, Isaac to Sarah uh, was a miraculous uh, conception in itself, because uh, Sarah by this stage is uh, well beyond the years of childbearing. Uh, the scriptures tell us she was barren. Uh, she was in her 90s. Uh, so this is a miraculous uh, thing. And of course, she, she comes uh, to bear as a result of Abraham and Sarah having a normal relationship. But nevertheless, the conception is miraculous because God keeps his promise to show that it is his supernatural work uh, that will enable that promise to be kept. So Paul says, just look at these two sons of Abraham. Uh, just look at what the text says about them. Uh, Ishmael is born in the usual way uh, because Hagar is a young woman. but Sarah, elderly and barren, it's as a result of supernatural intervention that the child who fulfills the promise that God gave Abraham comes into the world. So already we're beginning to have the scene set. Uh, there is a natural way to become uh, a child of Abraham, just born in the inheritance among the Jewish people. And there is a supernatural way to become a child of Abraham. And that will be because of God's promise and God doing something amazing to keep his promise in you today. So the scene is set uh, with that history lesson told. Uh, but now Paul says that these two uh, sons of Abraham uh, may be taken figuratively. 
and the two women, the two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, representing two covenants. Now, you know, of course, uh, that the Bible is divided into two testaments. Uh, well, testament is just an older translation for the word covenant. Uh, and the Bible is divided into these two covenants, uh, not the covenant to Abraham, uh, which, of course, uh, is fulfilled uh, in uh, the New Testament or New Covenant. But the Bible is broken down into these two covenants, the covenant of Moses, uh, the covenant of Sinai, uh, the covenant where the Ten Commandments are given uh, and the covenant that is fulfilled when Jesus comes and that renders that old covenant, the covenant with Moses, the covenant of law obsolete you can read more about that in the letter to the hebrews so paul says well hagar and sarah represent these two covenants uh, one covenant uh, the old covenant is from mount sinai and bears children who are to be slaves this he says is hagar and uh, hagar uh, stands for mount sinai in arabia and corresponds to the present city of jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children so paul says well you want to be a son of abraham well actually the first son of abraham ishmael was the one who was born to the slave woman and she stands and he stands uh, for those who try to come before god on the basis of their obedience to the moral law of god Actually, this was never God's intention for giving the Ten Commandments that we've been studying uh, in our all-age services. If you read the beginning of Exodus 20 carefully, you'll see that God gives the law not to enable people to redeem themselves by obeying it. Rather, he gives it to his redeemed people that they might uh, know how to live in order to bring him praise and glory. But the trouble was, by the time of jesus day uh, there had uh, come uh, in the place of uh, obedience to the law as the glad outworking of faith a very different approach rather uh, the pharisees and many in jesus day and now these who've come to galatia have taken the law not as a way of living gratefully uh, out of uh, thankfulness to god's redemption they twisted it round and turned it as a means of establishing their own righteousness, thinking that if they obeyed sufficiently well, so God would accept them. It was never the purpose of the law in the first place. And yet, uh, because uh, under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was not given to all believers, uh, and because we were longing for the one who would fulfill the law in himself and finally pay the price for our law breaking. So the Old Testament, the old covenant, was not able to bring about uh, the redemption that it pointed towards. So in the end, uh, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament ends uh, in failure. And so Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given, uh, it stands in Arabia. And Ishmael is the father of the uh, Arab peoples. Uh, and so that's the point Paul's making here. But he says they correspond to the present city of Jerusalem, because Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, having rejected the Messiah when he came, is still filled with those who were trying to create their own righteousness by their obedience to the law. I'm thinking of that top line of my uh, spiritual bingo that I gave you uh, in our church service earlier today. Uh, these are people, Paul says, who are trying to establish their own standing with God, thinking that it's their obedience that matters. But when we try that, 
well, we end up only in slavery. Jesus said, uh, we are slaves to, to sin. Uh, and it's only knowing the truth that he is the truth that can set us free from that. While Paul says these, these men who are bringing you a different message, uh, full of the language of Abraham and sonship and Jerusalem, actually are just bringing you a message of slavery. Because anyone who tells you that you can do this, that you've got this, that you can save yourself, no, they're just bringing you a message of slavery and despair. That's who uh, Hagar stands for. But the Jerusalem that is above, that is the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, and that's why Rob uh, uh, chose uh, our last uh, song today, uh, uh, because uh, that uh, celebration of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, where Peter says is the home of righteousness. Well, she is now our spiritual mother at the Jerusalem uh, from above. She is free. Uh, she represents, uh, not like earthly Jerusalem, uh, those who are sons of Hagar, still in slavery, still trying to establish their own righteousness. No, she represents those who've discovered the freedom that only Christ brings, that freedom that Jesus declares to us is ours in him because he's paid the price for all our law breaking. And he says to us, not obey and live, but believe and live. And as we come and put our trust in him, uh, so we are given that credit uh, with God that we could never achieve uh, by ourselves. This is a message of freedom uh, from the law's demands. And the Jerusalem uh, that is from above, well, she is our mother, like Sarah was the mother of the child of promise, Isaac. Uh, well, so the Jerusalem that is above, she is our mother. As the great uh, church father Cyprian said, you cannot have God for your father unless the church is your mother. And there's something of that here. Uh, Paul is saying to the Galatian Christians, uh, you've come uh, to the mother who has brought you freedom. You've come to Sarah, uh, whose son is Isaac. Now, you've come to Jesus, born of Mary uh, and born as the one who will come to set us free, uh, to be Emmanuel, God with us, and has come to take away our sins. You've come, as it were, uh, into the bosom of the heavenly Jerusalem. And as we come uh, into the place of the uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem from above, uh, as we come into her embrace, uh, well, then we're ready to hear these words. Uh, this um, uh, next uh, quotation is uh, uh, given as a promise uh, in the time of exile uh, to those who had experienced the reality of trying to obey God's law, of failing to do so, of ending up in judgment uh, because of that. Uh, and far from the land, broken and desolate, they were ready to hear again the promise of God. You see, that's always God's pattern with us. These uh, Judaizing uh, preachers who'd come to Galatia, uh, theirs was a message of strength. It was impressive. It was do this. And it's a self-help program. It bolsters pride, even though in the end it takes us far from God and delivers only death. It sounds good. But when people are broken when we've realized that there's nothing in ourselves that we can do to save ourselves when we've tried and failed and when we've discovered the fruit of that failure leads to desolation well then we're ready to hear the message again of grace 
of grace that saves sinners, of grace that reaches to broken people, people like us, failures, weak people. The gospel is good news to us. And just as it was in those far off days of those in exile in Babylon, so it is today with the weak and foolish things of the world. Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labour pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. How hard it must have been for Sarah uh, to see Ishmael growing up uh, and still, humanly speaking, utterly without hope. And yet, of course, the child of promise was born to her. How uh, bleak it must have been in those centuries before Christ came. All the promises of God in the old covenant unfulfilled. And that's been that way for us, so many of us, on our journey. We've started out perhaps with high hopes, but ended up uh, finding ourselves in despair. We've tried our own resources. Our own resources have failed. Perhaps we've tried religion and religion has failed us or we failed to be religious. Even we've been Christians a long time and we know those seasons of failure and desolation. Well, the gospel always meets us where we are today. The gospel always meets us in our barrenness, in our brokenness, in our hopelessness. It meets us as it met Sarah long ago and as it meets us today in Jesus. Be glad, O barren woman. Because God is bringing a great inheritance through Sarah, through Jesus. And for those who remain faithful uh, in the church today, sometimes it seems that all the great ones are doing uh, their own thing and getting the favour of the world. Well, God is building his church. He's building it on grace and he's building it in a way that will endure to the age to come. There is great joy in this. So don't give up hope. And as we come to the final application, Paul is explicit. You brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. We are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And so uh, when we uh, seek to be faithful uh, to the simple biblical gospel, what do we find? Well, we find persecution. We find opposition. But notice where it comes from. Of course, uh, the world will give us a kicking. Uh, that's what it does. We don't expect unbelievers to share our faith or to understand why we live and believe the way we do. But the reality is, look at verse 29. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. So do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, uh, look at the Lord Jesus. Where did the opposition to him come from? Well, of course, uh, there were unbelievers. There were Samaritans along the journey who rejected him. But the heartland of opposition came from the established church. It came from the priests. It came from those who knew the scriptures. It came from those who talked a lot about God and Abraham and faith and Israel and Jerusalem and heaven. They didn't get grace. They were children of Hagar. They were children born in the ordinary way. Now, religious opposition to true gospel Christianity has been a feature from the beginning of time. And it was in, there in the gospel days when the Lord Jesus was in his earthly ministry. It's here in Galatia and it's here in England. It's here in the Church of England. We should be under no illusion or surprise. And the greatest opposition we face 
to biblical faithfulness is from our fellow Anglicans and even from the great ones in the established church. That's what Paul was facing opposition from, and not people who came in back from paganism trying to recruit people back to the mystery cults. Now, he came across the greatest problem from people who talked about Jesus, who talked about God, who talked about heaven and the Bible, and yet who were preaching not grace and faith, but works and pride. Friends, uh, we need to stand on our guard. It is the same in our day, just as it was for Paul. But look at what is ours in Jesus. If we will just hold on, just hold on to grace and scripture and Jesus and the cross and the Holy Spirit. Look at what is ours. We are the children of promise. We are now seeing in our own lives, in our own church and in the age to come, the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus. We are seeing power, the power of the Holy Spirit in drawing us to Jesus, in changing our lives, in keeping us broken so that he might get all the praise and all the glory. Remember Paul, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away that thorn in the flesh, but he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, but my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you want to know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Then be prepared for some suffering as the Lord shows you that only in weakness does he display his strength. We have an inheritance, an inheritance uh, beyond this world's comprehension that is stored up for us in Christ Jesus, even now in that new heavens and new earth. And we get glimpses of it along the way as we go. Because, friends, uh, we are those who are free, free of condemnation uh, and uh, free uh, to know God personally and eternally. Look at those words that I've underlined there for you on the screen. We are the children of promise, of power, of inheritance, of freedom. That's who we are in Jesus, in the simple biblical gospel from which we never move. So uh, if you're tempted uh, to want to go to God a different way, uh, under your own steam, your own efforts, your own uh, religious observance, whether it's the Ten Commandments or some other religious pathway that depends on your efforts and performance. Paul said, don't forget the history. See what it means and apply it to yourselves. Don't miss out on promise, power, inheritance, freedom. There are two religions. There are two ministries. There are two sons, all making the point that there is one gospel, one saviour, and one pathway to salvation that is entirely dependent on him. And all we need to do is come and receive. And we pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for what you've taught us in this latter part of Galatians 4. Gosh, we could never have got through that uh, in church as well. But please, would you write your word on our hearts and deliver us from both the despair and the pride that come when we think it's about us and bring us instead into the glorious liberty of the children of God as we depend entirely on the finished work of Jesus that we might be children uh, of promise, of power, uh, and uh, of all the other blessings that you give us in fulfilment to your promises. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.